Dingle bells, dingle bells, dingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to see the Reading get away with it for another year and depart 2022 somehow in considerably stronger shape than we all thought we would be when the clock struck midnight on December 31st. Welcome and season's greetings to the Tyler Stem Podcast, episode 319. I'm your host, Mark Mayer, joining you for our Christmas special. It's been a uh, it's been a hell of a year for Reading FC. There is very rarely a boring year. Uh, even calendar-wise, of course, um, as we approach the uh, the end of 2022. And we're here to talk about the 49 games that Reading have played so far this season. And, uh, well, the record isn't great, let's say it that way, but it could have been a hell of a lot worse. So we'll have uh, the recap coming up in a bit and some awards to hand out. Doing that with me is uh, the veteran of Tyler Stem Podcast and Reading FC Podcasting, Alan West. Westy, we're just talking off air about how it all began and our trips to the pub and everything to do with the Christmas awards. Sadly, we're uh, on Zoom tonight, but still great to have you on. Yeah, it's n- new times, but at least I've moved with them, which is nice. Yeah, that's uh, that's difficult to do. To be fair. It's not the easiest set to do. It's very difficult to do, I must admit. But uh, it does mean that we're able to be joined by someone from the other side of the pond, or at least I think that's where you are at the moment. Ross Weber, one of the Tyler Stens writers who's been joining us uh, actually more frequently on the podcast this year. It's great to have you on and I uh, hope you're doing well. Yeah, doing great. Thanks, Mark. Happy to be here. Definitely still on this side of the of the pond. I wouldn't try uh, I wouldn't try traveling around the uh, the holiday period. Of course, we've got Thanksgiving a few weeks ago as well. So the whole country basically just sort of slows down for about a month over here. Oh, that's good. Well, uh, in certainly as you as you probably well know, in the UK, this is uh, the time of year when everyone manically tries to get to a different part of the country, and then <laughs> finally gets a chance to stop. Which actually I've been doing today, funnily enough. So, uh, which nice. is uh, as always good for the for the Christmas period. We'll um, be getting into the recap of twenty twenty two in just a second. Before that, as always, a thanks to our sponsors, ZCZ Films, and our Patreon subscribers, putting some some cash in the virtual tip jar which uh, we're always trying to put to good use and bring a better show, better blog, obviously, with the uh, website as well. Always looking into ways to improve our quality with that. So without any further ado, let's get into the recap of 2022. Come rain or shine, it's time to relive the latest match action with the recap. This podcast is sponsored by ZCZ Films, Reading's oldest ultras. So, Westy, if I'd have offered you at the start of the year a record, and obviously 2022 isn't over yet, so it's not quite complete, but we've played 49, all competitions, won 15, drawn 7, and lost 27 games in 2022. That's over half of the games we've played we've lost, and yet we finished two points off the playoffs. Um, As a record, would you have taken that at the start of the year, and what division do you think we'd have been in at the end of it? Well, let's face it, it's a borderline miracle. We're still talking about championship football. And I think we said it on the pod, sort of certainly the back end of last season, that how we stayed up is beyond beyond our wildest dreams because of the amount of points we, we didn't get. Um, looking at that record, even having seven draws is is a near miracle. I mean, the amount of games, you considering every game starts a draw, you'd expect a few more than that. But I think we can all look at the losses and say that's far too many. But on the flip side, it's been it's been... A roller coaster ride as usual, but as you said at the start of the show, we've just about scraped our head above water and we're sort of pushing slightly in the right direction, but in Reading's normal way, it's sort of a little bit there and a little bit not there. And um, I think there's lots of twists and turns to come. But uh, to answer your question, I think we're just lucky to be talking about championship football still. 
Yeah, for sure. With um, let's go through the year then, and it started. Well, it started basically as bad as it possibly could have, with a two-one defeat to Kidderminster in the FA Cup. Um, just in case anyone had repressed that memory, thought we'd bring that one back up. Although another favourably repressed memory is our seven-nil defeat to Fulham, which we had um in January as well. We then lost to Middlesbrough in the last minute, having led that. I think eighty-four minutes in, we were one-nil up in that. Lost two-one. Andy Carroll left. Of course, um, having scored that Middlesbrough goal and, you know, seemingly being someone who could help us with our relegation battle. Liam Moore was stripped of his captaincy in January, which actually today, uh, the 21st of December, he was back in training for Reading. So um, that's been a, an almost a perfect circle that we're approaching with that one. Uh, a bit of a brief respite we had with, uh, I remember the attacking intent. Um, was kind of brought forward with our 3-4 defeat to Huddersfield. George Puska scoring in that. And then all that uh, brief respite was brought down to earth with a 4-0 defeat at QPR. Now, we're not going to go through every single game and result with as much detail, but but Ross, as a month, that is, that's like a whole season's worth of, of crap, isn't it, basically? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that wasn't the uh, that wasn't the most fun time to be a Reading fan. I remember um, predicting earlier in the season that I was like, "Oh, we should keep Pano because it's not like we're going to lose ten games in a row." And then I think we got to eight games in a row by that stretch, and I'd certainly changed my tune. So, um, yeah, that was probably January twenty twenty two. The most convinced I've been that we were going to get relegated at any point in the last five years, um, even through all of the previous relegation battles it felt like there was still some spirit in the club or at least if there wasn't spirit there was a little bit of money knocking around to be able to bring in a manager uh, a player or something who might be able to make a difference or or something like that um but especially when i was thinking back comparing it to the the uh the, the jose gomez second um half of the season where we you know we brought in uh, ajaria um emmy martinez who's just won a world cup and and all those great players you know comparing it to that made me really worried that we were uh we were going down because it really felt like the the spirit had been knocked out of the club um so very happy to be sitting here um you know 12 months later uh two points off the playoffs football things change quickly in football don't they they did i remember at the time the the anti paunovic chance and everything started coming and i think i was probably a little bit behind i mean some people want the next manager after paul lynch to be sacked already already don't they so some people are always ahead of the curve with wanting people to be sacked but i think i was a little bit behind a lot of people in terms of the paunovic stuff can't remember exactly yeah. when I did turn. Um, I think it was the Kidderminster game for me, Westy, and the 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 real fan discontent. And Ross says the word spirit there, and the spirit in the fans have been really kicked um, over this January. I don't know if you call it kind of the worst month. Obviously, we've had relegations and stuff, but the worst month of supporting Reading, or near enough one of the worst months. And and Paunovic really was well. He's he long outstayed his welcome, hadn't he? Yeah, he had. I mean, I've been coming to watch Reading since 1985, so I've seen a few bad months, I can say that for certain. Um, The worst thing about this, that month in particular, and the Kidderminster game, was I don't think anyone was shocked that they beat us, and that was probably the worst feeling of all, because we went to that game, and and it looked like it was going to be a banana skin, and it ended up being Reading doing what they've done in, well, do regularly at the moment, is kind of shoot themselves in the foot with either poor play, bad goalkeeping, or just some random mistake that um, ended up costing them the game. But like I said, I don't think anyone was shocked at that defeat. 
And I don't think anyone was shocked at the 7-0 beating from Fulham afterwards either. And that was sort of the end of Paunovic. But I will say that I think that as a fan base, I think we're good fans for a manager because Gomez, Paunovic, they got a lot, lot of time more than a lot of other clubs would have given them. Um, whether it's based on their personalities and the fact they were liked, um, up for debate, but their results didn't warrant our support, if, if that makes sense. And um, they certainly got a long time to be um, useless, really. I think you're right, because I think that like a lot of the I think a lot of what was frustrating with Panovic is that we were watching other clubs around the division go on a four or five game losing streak and then sack their manager. And obviously there were financial considerations for us, but we were watching six or seven defeats in a row. And it it, it because of the way the communication was this, you know, this time last year, we just had no sense that anything was moving to actually improve things. So yeah, it's really it was a really tricky situation. Well, that's that led to, and you say about the fan patience. When it when it went, it went big time, and there were the fan protests before the Coventry game, which was the 150th anniversary game. Although that was meant to be the Luton game, but then that got cancelled for COVID. So that that was just another kind of shambles. Although I guess the club wasn't necessarily responsible for that one. Um, so there was the Coventry protest, and then there was the Peterborough protest after the nil-nil draw. I was at the Peterborough game, not the Coventry game, um, and I remember waiting around not necessarily out of anger or anything, more just to see if anything was going to happen in terms of, you know, I remember Andy Yeardon coming over to fans outside the bus at Peterborough, um, kind of explaining as much as he could really about what's, you know, what the players thought and and kind of being diplomatic in that sense. Um, it was a really strange time, Westy. I remember writing an article at the time because Certain fans wanted a real overhaul and I was in, in the camp that let's wait for the summer for the overhaul and let's just get Paunovic out and just focus on survival. Let's not, you know, run before we can walk sort of thing. So what what did you think the process made much difference in terms of Paunovic and everything? Do you think that there was a, a kind of tangible effect that they maybe made? Yeah, I think they did. I think any sort of fan protest, it, it does, it rocks the boat a little bit and Obviously, at the time, the Chinese um, contingent weren't there very often. And I think it was just trying to make sure that they'd heard that we were discontent with what was going on. I mean, to a certain extent, we had our hands tied. But I still say to this day, we had then a decent side, a good 11, 12, 13 players that shouldn't have been struggling like that. But I will say that I thought Andy Yidham, at that point, I thought he really stepped up. I thought his performances were very good. And at least he was brave enough to come over and say, look, I care. I want to do better for this club. And I thought that what he'd done on that day really sort of tipped the balance between the fans really getting on the players' back and actually thinking, look, we've got a couple of players there that I think we can rely on. Um, and I think that what he did on that day, um, coming off the bus and talking to people, took a lot of bravery and uh, yeah. fair play to him. I'm not saying his performances were good around there and he, he always gives you 100% anyhow. And I think any fan can appreciate that. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I think um, not that he had, obviously he'd already been a captain at Charlton, but that was when he started to really show that he was the clear successor to Liam Moore for me when he came out then. Because, I mean, obviously, like, nobody goes into that sort of situation thinking dangerously, but you never know what's going to happen when you, you know, confront people who are frustrated, who are angry. I think something clearly got through to Dai Young in, in January or February, whenever that was. Um, and it may well have been Andy Yeardom and and putting himself out there and realizing that, you know, he couldn't be putting his players, his employees in that kind of position. 
Yeah, I think that um, that the, the point you make about the, the side as well, it, it felt different to when we were frustrated with the Yapstam team and I think the Paul Clement team as well, and actually the Jose Gomez team as well, funny enough, because those teams, I think we were really frustrated with the players thinking, you know, you're you're ultimately kind of holding things back. Whereas actually it really felt like the we were all kind of united thinking that the manager was the thing that holding everything back. Um it led to a very interesting situation where Paunovic had been told he'd been sacked. I think this is how it happened before the Preston game. We then won that game, uh, ending this massive losing streak. Although I think we did try really hard not to win it, having been three 0 up and conceded two late goals. Uh, of course, then the exit was announced immediately after the game, um, which really summed up the kind of turmoil at the top of the club for Reading and also amongst the fan base because we were com- that that split the fan base completely. Some saying, you know, why why is he gone now? We've finally won a game. Some people saying let him go but announce it before the game or after you know three days later sort of thing nobody could really agree on the best way to go about that and I think ultimately (laughs) then things got even more interesting when Paul Ince was introduced as our manager and um, this really got got the the wider footballing attention didn't it Westy because Paul Ince had you know lest we forget as if anyone never reminds us that he'd had eight years out of the game he was a, a very good player. No, no, make no doubt about it. He's, you know, don't need to go into. Everyone knows what Paul Ince did, England, Inter Milan, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But wasn't necessarily someone brought back as a. Perhaps a lot of fans felt that he wasn't a, a modern manager in a sense. He was very. He is very old school at the end of the day, and I think perhaps that's favoured us in a lot of ways. And while that's not the romantic kind of appointment that people kind of dream of and ultimately he's ended up staying all through his kind of interim period now got a contract and everything it perhaps was the fact that he was quite off the beaten track and hadn't managed for so long that actually maybe favored him yeah it was a super random appointment let's face it um a time that we've gone through sort of a couple of foreign managers tried to move in a different direction i think to be fair to him he came along at a good time because like i said we had the side we had a core of players that were good, especially at that level. Um, and I think we needed to be a bit more pragmatic in the way we played and, and to win games, not always playing at our best. And I think he, what he has done for us, he's given us that sort of um, fight. I mean, we were conceding goals ridiculously for two seasons and defensively we were all over the place. Um, so he, he, he sort of, he, he stopped that relatively quickly. Um, he's been backed to a certain extent with the fact that we've we've got some good, very good players, I think, at uh, this level. And what he has done, he's brought us a sort of an older-fashioned sort of championship football style that has made us relatively successful uh, under the constraints that we had as a, as a club. Um, I think when everyone's been moving away from sort of your old 90s uh, Man United player, your Bruce's and your Hughes's, we sort of moved back to it, so it was a, it was a random appointment. But I think all in all, I mean, it's not it's not a ten out of ten. It's not it's not a three out of ten. We're sort of sat on sort of five and a half six, aren't we? Which is uh, yeah. It was enough to stem the flow of what was looking like a disaster. Yeah, he, he Ince actually lost three of his first four games, conceding four twice. And you know, anyone who watched the Birmingham game on Friday night will know that we still have it in us to have that collapse. Um, even if it's rarer than previously. But so, you know, something did change, didn't it, Ross? We did yeah. get better fundamentally, and that's what kept us up. And and what do you think it was? Do you think it was 
that's you know was it the defensive solidity improved was it just the comp was it a mental thing actually I think a lot of it was mental. I think that Ince has shown us that um, he's shown us a little bit more tactically this season. Obviously, going to the three at the back, and um, you know there are there are some interesting ideas in his play with the with the low block and the attempts to play on the transition. But um, I think that the thing that Ince is really good at is managing the morale of a dressing room um and sometimes i don't i don't think ince cares about having tricky conversations with anybody he's the governor you know and i think that he brings some of that um authority from his stints with england from his stints you know in Serie A and the premier league all these things um people do want to listen to him to a to a degree even if you know us watching from the outside i think he hasn't managed in a while I think that players are simpler creatures sometimes. And, you know, we forget that there are people. If you can get the people side of things right, they can bring out their best performances. Um, and Ince just undoubtedly has gotten that right, where Panovic wasn't getting that right. I think Panovic wasn't really talking to some people towards the end of his tenure. At least those are some of the rumors. I, I don't know if that's true, but... I think that Ince just immediately started excluding those in the lineup that he didn't feel were committed to the mental side of the game, to keeping uh, Reading up. And then having Tom around to sort of instill that in the changing room, uh, almost like having an extra coach for him there, I think that was really useful. So I think that getting his own son on side with what he was trying to do and then um, sort of just taking that bedrock and running with it to really push the mental toughness as an important thing for this group. Do you know what? You, you bang on there, Ross. It's, it, what Ince has done is, like you said, everyone knows who points is. And if you if you look at man, players that become managers, I was watching uh, Steve Copper play for Manchester United the other day in a game from the early 80s, late 70s. And Copper was a winger. And if you watched the, the, his side, the 106 team, it was get it wide, get it in the box. So they played with a winger, a manager who was a winger. With Paul yeah. Ince, Ince was all about cut and thrust, he demands everyone around him to to do what he does. You know what I mean? Shut people down, put in big tackles, um, have a bit of quality on the ball. And like you said, with his son coming in, and, and he's obviously had that instilled in him since he was a boy, um, it become infectious. It becomes infectious. And if you're not doing it, like you're Ajarius and now you're Jowls, who's sort of been excluded from the starting eleven quite a lot. Uh, if you're not doing it, then you're out of the side. And I think that demand and them standards have been set, whereas before... I don't think there was that. And there wasn't the, I can't even look up to you as a player because I don't really know who you are. Um, I know Panovic had a good career as a footballer, but the young lads won't have known or seen him too much. Yeah. And um, I think Ince has got that sort of aura about him where he played for England. He's played at the top level. I can only aspire to get to that level, but let me try. And I think that's what he's done. And some players have slipping away, but you get the ones that step up to the plate. And his son has been immense in that happening around the club, I think. Yeah, for sure. Well, Reading had the uh, the late heroics. Tom McIntyre with goals late on against Sheffield United and Swansea, uh, which I don't. I'm not sure. I would say they kept us up because uh, Reading weren't naturally hugely close to the Championship drop zone in the end on the final day and everything. And we did lose three games, having you know effectively secured our uh, survival and everything. So it's actually a little bit of a. I'm tempted to say comfortable end to the season. Um, all things considered, with the, with that you know the late uh, with the points that we picked up quite late on in the season. So 
we also then had the Orion Island calamity on the final day, which I will be talking about in the uh, in the award ceremony. I have, I have no doubt about that. Um, <laughs> so then we get into the summer, and as we all knew, there was going to be the exodus, and John Swift, uh, Morrison, Laurent, Rinomotta, Halilovic, McNulty, Barker, Thomas, Araruna, Nyland, Ashcroft, Bristow, and Samuels, all of which have made first-team appearances, I think, left for free. So that's a big hole in, you know, a lot of situations really um and we'll talk a bit later on because we have the award for the most missed player so we'll talk about any of those that we kind of feel like we're maybe missing now but in in coming in in replacement the usual bunch of trialists i don't think any of the trialists that we didn't take have you know gone on to anything special and then we've had the likes of hutchinson long inside permanently how do we think uh Ross, do you think those guys have have changed the kind of dynamic of the team was it with hindsight a really successful summer window any kind of flops or massive uh massive gold nuggets we've found there i think a successful window overall i think that um ahead of that like even more importantly just putting the um putting the upper management group together of Mark Bowen, Mark Bowen and then him bringing Paul Carey in um and, and I believe that there's some more shuffling going on in that sort of area at the moment so I think that getting that right first of all really gave the it kind of made the fans um you know take a step back and 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 calm down a little bit because it seemed like correct football moves were happening and then with these guys coming in and Benga's been awesome obviously I think Hutchinson has given us uh, everything that Michael Morrison did over the last couple of years so far. I'd like to obviously see it over a longer period of time, but uh, he's made Morrison's absence less of a um, less of a problem. I, that was one I was a little bit worried about. And then you know, bringing Long in, it's it's bringing it's bringing in players who I think I said this on a previous podcast who are all mentality monsters to use Klopp's phrase um but also you know bringing in a guy like long they know what they're doing you know they're they're getting the fans on side a player who can certainly still do a job um in the championship but not one that would necessarily be pushing into our first 11 if we were a playoff team so i think that it's there are a bunch of players who have come in been willing to buy into um ince's you know mentality first mentality for lack of a better term um and yeah i think that's really just helped us to go on these little runs every now and again and and just pick up the points that we need to have what has been a fairly comfortable season so far yeah why has it been so comfortable west you look you know you look you look at this the championship and it's all it's been a bit of an unusual year and a bit of a mishmash and everything but has it been is there any kind of component that reading have done really well this year or or capitalised on. I think goals at key times is something I'd say. We've scored quite often early in second halves and stuff. And and I think if you look back at the the that Millwall away game, for example, we scored quite early and then we're able to sit in. Think of the uh, the Blackburn home game when we scored relatively early on. Then again, quite early on in the second half, we've had the odd collapse still, but we've been relatively well organised and motivated, like we've been speaking about. Is there anything that? that we've kind of really nailed this year that is why we're why we're so high up the table no i don't think we've nailed anything i think we're we're the epitome of a a championship football side that will go on a run of two or three games and then lose three or four and then take the odd beating and then then win a random game three nil that you didn't see coming i think we're, we're all over the place with our results um i think just going back to the point that ross was making there i think 
when we was talking about just a minute ago, Coppel's team and now Ince's team, Ince has signed players that were like Ince, you know. When Hutchinson plays, I think Reddin are a better team. Um, we knew that his injury record wasn't great and we probably won't have him for maybe 25 games a season. But when he's in the side, I think he makes Reddin a better team because he's a leader on the pitch. His son's a leader on the pitch. And I think that's what we've got now. We've got players that are leaders on the pitch. You've got your hearts and minds type players like your longs and you've got your two local lads that play at the back there. Um, that's good for the fans, like Ross alluded to. Um, and I think, again, Long's a very similar style type player. He gives you everything he's got. And I think we've been lacking that in seasons where we, we you don't see players giving you everything, you know, just leaving their hearts on the field. Um, whereas now I think Ince has tapped into the fact that he needed players that were experienced, that have played a bit, have played at a higher level and bring a little bit more quality leadership and effort into a side that on occasions would collapse um, once they were 1-0 down. Um, so that's what they, if he's done anything, I think that's what they've done as a collective. And I think, like you said, Bowen coming back as well. Just the organisation around the club felt a little bit disjointed, where it feels a lot better now, the communication's back, and you feel a bit more part of it um, because of that. Can I add something about the tactical sort of uh, purchases that, that have been made? I've been, I think I've been thinking about this a lot because the World Cup's just happened and there are a lot of teams, especially the European teams that set up like this. We hear game state talked about more and more now as an important thing within football. A lot of teams try and force a certain game state early. So England, for instance, like to attack early in halves. They really go at teams for the first 15 minutes or so. And then in the last five minutes of a half, and then they'll sort of back off in that middle part because they're built to play with a lead or built to play from a draw. I think that a lot of the players that Reading have brought in are of a similar mentality. We sort of sit in this low block. We try and go forward quickly in transition moments, possibly because we're missing that sort of creative player through the middle at the moment. Um, but I think that a lot of these players, Nabi Sar, Mbenge, Hutchinson, Long, when you're chasing a game, they are a nightmare to have to deal with. If you're a defender and your team is one or two nil down, you're just trying to get it up the field and Shane Long is chasing you down. Um, that is a pain in the neck to deal with over and over again. Whereas if you're winning and Shane Long chases you down, you know, just pass it back to your goalkeeper, just pass it around the back or do whatever you want. So I think that if there's any sort of tactic thing beyond the mentality that Reading are trying to do it's they're trying to bring in players who are just no fun to play against um when they have the lead yeah yes. definitely and I think for this this season more than any if you look at our attacking options all of them are very different players um mm -hmm. I think we still lack that pace over the top which we miss which means we're a bit condensed sometimes if you play Carroll up front you start Carroll you know he's not going to run in behind so sometimes it makes it a little bit easier you know he's good in the air but then you have to have some run off of him um, but I think if you look at Long, Mate, Zhao, Carroll and Ince, when they play forward, they're all very different problems for you. And I think we've lacked that down the years as well. Yeah, Reading have picked, they have picked up a couple of wins from behind this year, Cardiff and Hull, or this half of the season, I should say. Um, but yeah, it's 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 been a case, I think it's been a case for a long time with the Reading teams that coming from behind isn't too easy but defending leads isn't actually that difficult for us either i'm trying to think of times we've actually lost from in front and there was the qpr game um obviously the swansea game but you i guess it's a bit of a misnomer and burnley but burnley we were kind of well the less said about that the better given the penalty decision we had late in the game so yeah it's um i think looking forward which we'll do a bit later in the show it's it puts reading in a position to 
hopefully just kind of maintain as a really, uh, I say steady, but we're going to be a bit of a streaky team, aren't we? Maintain that that mid-table position and see what happens, really. So long, I mean, we we currently have two games left. We're two points off the playoffs and we are eight points clear of the relegation zone, which is, I think that that buffer has extended since we've, uh, you know, with one one win, we've pulled away from that um, since the season has restarted. So we're doing, um, we're doing right in that respect. And I think ultimately every fan will know that, that staying up this year is always the first goal. Anything else is a big bonus and, uh, and Reading are fulfilling that. So that is 2022. We'll obviously uh, have more to say on that in the last couple of games, but for now we're going to go into the award show, hand out some uh, final awards for 2022. For all the latest Reading news, analysis and opinion, visit the website at thetilehurstend.com. So welcome back to the Tarlest End podcast and the 2022 awards. We have been doing this since 2013, actually. So I guess, you know, it's a bit of a landmark awards for us to be getting all this way and still no one still we haven't had a public complaint from how Hobson Carno that we have the how 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 Hobson Carno underachiever award coming up. Um although his punditry career is certainly overachieving. So fair enough to him for that for writing those wrongs. Right then we've got all kinds of things coming up. The uh, breakout player award, worst moment, golden moment, comedy moment and more. It all starts with the player of the year, the 2022 best player for Reading FC. Previous winners include Alex McCarthy, we've had Jordan Abita, Oliver Norwood, Al Habsi, Liam Moore, John Daddy Bodvarsson won it in a particularly down year, I think it's fair to say. Ovia Jaria, Mike Morrison and John Swift is the reigning champion. Obviously can't defend that crown. No one's ever defended this crown, funnily enough. Um, so we've had already some nominations. Um, Simeon Pickup, uh, Adam Jones, Ben Thomas and Ollie Allen. All of, if you listen to the Tyler Sen podcast and read the blog, you'll be familiar with those names, have all sent me in their nominations and they have all voted for Tom Ince, which Westy, I think, is a pretty clear sign that there might be a winner here. Um, are you going for Ince yourself or...? Yeah, definitely. I think it's, again, what we said already about going back over it again. I think he's been... Since he's come here, I mean, you speak to other fans at clubs he's played for and they can't believe the performances he's putting in for Reading. So uh, if it's because of his dad, and I think that might have a, a big deciding factor in it. Um, but like we said, he, he sets the tone for the whole side. And even on the pitch, he makes demands of people. And you can never you never sit back at the end of a game and think Tom Ince doesn't give you everything he's got. And I think if you look at the names that you just read out, apart from the goalkeepers who were excellent, and normally, if goalkeeper gets player of the year, apart from Shaka, is like back in the day, it means you've had a bad season. But I think Tom Ince sets the tone. I think he has been excellent since he's joined us. And I must admit, when I, he first came to the club, I thought, why are we signing him? He's, he's moving, he's sliding down the leagues rather than moving up them. Um, I thought he was very one footed. Um, I still think that, actually. But you can't ever knock the effort he puts in. And he, he, he has not just the effort he puts in, it's, he affects the game both sides of the pitch defensively and in attack. And there's not many players you see in modern day football that do that. You either a defender or you're an attacker. And he sits in that perfect middle ground where he, he's useful in both areas. So I think Tom Ince could play anywhere and he, he'd still be, you know, seven, eight, nine out of 10 every week. 
Yeah, I think that it's that it's that work rate that's really surprised me with him. Yes, I knew he could hit a free kick when he signed for us. I knew he could cut inside and be a threat and everything. But the fact that he just works so hard off the ball and is defensively, as you say, so important to the team. And when he's not there, you really realise it as well. So I'm definitely voting for Tom Ince. Ross, are you going to throw in any curveballs? Uh, I wish I wish that I could uh, I wish that I could add something else to this, but I think that the unanimity of it just speaks to how good of a how good of a year he's had. You know, um, I think that maybe one of the other Toms might sneak in there for me for uh, just the the moments they've given us this year and the fact that Tom Holmes and Tom McIntyre, two guys you know who grew up in the academy who watched the 106 team the fact that they are affecting our games um to the degree that they are i think that's awesome but yeah it would be a, a bold man to claim that anybody other than tom Ince has been the player of the year as you just put it i can't imagine a starting 11 that i would feel confident of winning a game that doesn't include tom Ince in it right now um so yeah he has to be the player of the year so far well, congratulations, Dan Tommins. You are the 2022 Tarlis and Player of the Year. Uh, contact John Swift to collect your trophy. He's probably somewhere in the Midlands right now, um, if we ever sent him one. Right there, most improved player is next up. We've already had some nominations for Joe Lumley, Tom Holmes. Nesta Guinness-Walker is an interesting shout for Molly. Um, I am going to phone the first candidate for this one. I'm going to say Junior Hoylet is my pick, most improved player. A player who... Over the start of the year and the start of his Reading tenure was just kind of there or thereabouts, you know, a bit of a winger, a bit of, you know, did bits and bobs. And I wouldn't say really wowed anyone. Um, But then in the second half of the year, he's improved massively, in my opinion, because his integrity to the team has just been elevated massively by the fact that he's playing at wing back, both flanks, defends, attacks, does just a really good professional job. Which um, which Reading badly needed at the start of the year, and I think he's filled that in very well. And he's not been outstanding or anything, but as a most improved player, that's who I'm going to go for. Ross, who are you picking for most improved player? So I'm going to go with Tom Holmes. Um, I love the both of the academy Toms. I think that McIntyre is probably at the start of this year a slightly better player than Holmes, and and at this point, I think it might be the other way around. Um, Holmes has really grown up this year. Um, he's obviously been through a tricky situation um, with the with the Reading, just with Reading over the last year, and having to go through the um the the pain and the Panovich situation and the uh the missing out on the playoffs the season before Holmes is he is just a solid championship operator at this point I think that he still benefits from having somebody a little bit more experienced alongside him but it's getting to the point where Holmes is the experienced player alongside others in the defense so yeah for me it's Tom Holmes Westy who are you going for yeah I've gone for uh, Junior Hoylet as well um, I didn't think I'd probably say these words, but to say he's most improved is kind of um, degrading to a player that's obviously played a lot of Premier League football. But like you said, he's been asked to operate in a role that I wasn't sure he could play in. Um, and I just think he's he's a model professional. I think if you look at um, when he plays for Canada, he's really highly thought of in the Canadian side. Yeah. Um, they've got a lot of respect for him. And I think if you see how he plays for Reading, I think he gives you all he's got as well. He's another player. and 
being asked to play out of position and being good in that position and being first choice really in that position is testament to his professionalism. So it kind of reminds me of a few years back, going back to Coppo again, of when Ulysses De La Cruz came to this side and he didn't play that often. But when he did, you could see that he was a, he was a good player and I think he fits that sort of mould where he, he gives you everything he's got and he's got a bit of quality um, to go with it. So yeah, definitely junior order for me. Oh, I loved Ulysses De La Cruz. He was, I really enjoyed watching him. He was a Rolls Royce right back, wasn't he? Um, even if he wasn't uh, necessarily able to play more than maybe 10 games a season. Um, so that actually means with uh, three votes for Tom Holmes, because Sim and Adam both backed him, he is the official Tyler said most improved player of 2022. A word of caution, however, it doesn't always mean that he's going to do well because it turned into a bit of a... I don't know, a bit of a a poison chalice in previous years. Obita Cooper, Nick Blackman won it in 2015. And, well, I don't think he was very good after that. Gareth McCleary won it. Liam Kelly won it before he completely dropped off. Yaku Meite before he didn't have a... uh, Actually, no, he did right um, the year after. John Swift, Omar Richards and Luke Southwood was last year's most improved player. Um, And if you had the least improved player, he might be up for that this year. So, um Let's go on to the Hal Robson Carnu Underachiever Award. Um, for fans who don't remember Hal Robson Carnu so much, he won the award in 13 and 14 purely as a player who had bags of talent, really highly regarded, you know. But Hal Robson Carnu is one of those players who there is no reason that we shouldn't love him as Reading fans. Academy player, won the championship, did well in the Premier League and everything. And yet there is just something about that that underachieving and perhaps going on to other clubs and saving his best football for the Wales team, I think is probably fair to say, that uh, didn't that didn't mean we were fully enamoured with him as much as we should have. So the previous winners of this award kind of follow the most improved player line in that Obita won it, Cooper won it, Sonia Luko won it twice. Um, maybe if someone wins it three times, they can have it renamed after them. Uh, yeah. George Puskas has won it, Danny Loder. And Puskas again at last season. So, uh, Westy, I'll give you the first nomination for the Underachiever Award. Do you know what? It was me who named this the Robson Carnu Award. Uh, back in the day, I seem to remember. And if you look at the players you just listed, they all fit the same mould, don't they? And I always look forward to this one. It's definitely my favourite. Um, I'm going to go for someone who's a bit left field, because I, I think I know who's going to win this, but I'm going to go for someone a little bit different. And that's Femi Aziz. And the reason for that is, I think that he has got all the talent that you could want to see of a footballer. Um, he started a season before last on fire. Um, we hear that in training he's been on fire, but his injury record is really is really poor for a player of his age. So my um, underachiever is Femi Aziz because I think at this point in his career he should be on he should be first on the team sheet, and he's still not. Fair point. Well, I've gone for Jeff Hendrick because uh, when Jeff Hendrick was signed. I thought this is a cracking signing. We've done really well to get a player who fundamentally has spent most of his recent career in the Premier League. Um, I was a little bit tempered when I realised that he had a dodgy loan spell at QPR for the first half of the year. And I thought, that's fine. You know, he suits the Paul Lynch style. He's a, from what I've heard, he's a good leader in the dressing room and everything. And I'm no doubt that probably is still the case. But I thought we were getting a really good championship, all action midfielder in Jeff Hendrick. And I don't think we have actually had that. I think he's been quite lucky to be in the team as often as he is. And maybe it is that leadership and um, all those abilities that are keeping him there. But um, just the general 
defensive and attacking output, I think, is quite low for a player of his standing and ability. So he's my underachiever of the year. Ross, who are you going to say for the HRK award? So so with that one, I'm also going to go with Hendrick. And, and so as to not repeat exactly what you just said, I'm going to pose a question to you, both of us, all right. Um, the the actually came to me from, from Sim at the Tilehurst Den, where he sort of posed... Would you rather have Jeff Hendrick or second half of the season Danny Drinkwater playing in that position right now? Because Drinkwater got a lot of stick for his position, you know, for his performances in the first half of last season, but he did improve quite a bit. Um, and I don't know if Hendrick right now is really providing the same sort of uh, creativity, at least that Drinkwater could provide in the middle of the park. So I'd be interested to get your opinions on that. Do you know what? I can answer this. And it's, it's a miracle you said this because I've just written down on my notes Hendrick and I've put drink water in a circle before you mentioned his name. Mm. So I must have channeled it across the channel yeah. because we picked up on that. But I, I would have said definitely 100% I'd have had the latter part of the season Danny Drinkwater because I still don't know what Hendrick is yeah. as a midfielder. You know, I don't get, I think he's like, he's a little bit of everything, but not enough of anything, if that makes any sense. Whereas yeah. Drinkwater. You knew he had a decent engine on him and he could pick a pass. Whereas Hendrick doesn't seem to be an attacking midfielder. He's not much of a tackler. He's not good on the ball. Um, he runs around and puts in an effort. I'm not saying that, but he doesn't give me something that I can say, oh, that's what he is as a midfielder. Because he yeah. appears to be a little bit of everything and not enough of the stuff that you need. Whereas Drinkwater, you knew exactly what he was about. And like I said, Drinkwater's played at the top level. And um, you could, you see that at the back end of last season. Whereas for Hendrick, I don't see anything as a midfielder. Not really. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I don't. I. Because I, as I say, when he came to the club, I thought that he was going to be that engine type, that driver, pick up the ball, run with it, carry it into, you know, good positions, and then just probably play the simple pass, and and that'll be that. But yeah, well, I've, I've, I don't think any of us have seen that, and he's it's flown a little bit under the radar. It's certainly not been Danny Drinkwater levels of criticism, and not on my saying that I think he should be massively criticised. I'm not condoning the the abuse that Drinkwater was getting on a weekly basis. But it does make me feel that, yeah, he, he does. I do just feel that we should be getting more more bang for our buck with Jeff Hendrick. Um, interestingly, the uh, the four guys, Sim, Adam, Ben and Ollie, all sent in a completely different player to win this Underachiever Award. And that is Ovi Ajaria, who I think probably a lot of listeners were, were expecting us to say maybe. So we'll have to have a chat about him. And Ajaria yeah. is just... I know you've you've described him in the past as a luxury player, Westy. I know, and it feels to me that when he first came to the club, he was he was a player that we were all excited by, and he was pulling off these tricks, and he had the bit of end product as well. He scored a couple of goals. He was a few really good assists. Um, I remember one at QPR for for George Puskas um, in the in the Mark Bowen era and stuff like that. It was there was there were num- a number of elements to his game that were good, and yet. I think I feel like that was a long time ago now that those elements were really in any way prevalent to the way that he performs now. It feels like any attack that gets to Ajaria either plays the simple pass or kind of dies. Defenders know what they're doing against him because you just have to stand off him and wait for him to not particularly do very much. The effort levels, you know, not every player has to run a marathon every game, but he doesn't doesn't have that in him. Tracking back as well. And yet this is a player who on the ball and in his end products as well has so much talent 
and multiple managers now. I think this is always a good litmus test of players that multiple managers have struggled to get something out of him for any long period of time. And we're kind of, I, I guess we're just a, bit, a little bit stuck with it now, aren't we, Westy? Ajaria's career is passing him by, isn't it? He's one of those players that has been given every opportunity to to show what he's got. And there's no doubt he's got talent. I mean, I didn't mention him because I knew he'd won it. Um, but I wanted to sort of give a few other options. But with Ajaria, he, he's got everything you need to be a good footballer. Um, he had his chance at Liverpool. He went to Rangers. They didn't like the looks of him. He's come to worse. There's something not right with him. Um, his injury record has been poor as well. But when he comes into the side, even when he was playing well, he has a tendency to keep the ball for way too long and he slows down play. And I think he gives teams opportunities to get back. I think he likes to take on players. I think he enjoys that more than winning games to a certain extent. Um, but he's not an ins player, is he? Ajara is not an ins player. He is a luxury player. Um, but I think we all thought that he would take Swift's place. And I think that was up for grabs for him yeah. at the start of the season because he could play in behind the strikers. He could play that Swift role if he really wanted to. But he's been given opportunities when, like you say, whenever he plays, he doesn't do it. And I think we're seeing less even of his ability now. He's just mm-hmm. sort of shrunk into his shell. And I think Ajari's career at Reading is going to be quite short because I don't think it's going to put up with him for much longer. Yeah, Ross, the thing I would add quickly is that um, he's 25 years old and he's always been a young player at Reading, but he's not anymore. He should be in his prime. Yeah. Yeah, no, he he really should. And I think it's just... It's just disappointing, isn't it, really? Because like Westy's saying, we were all so excited when he first came to us on loan, thought it was a steal and we got him for three million or whatever it was um, on that contract. But that his career is passing him by is is very accurate. I think what he's shown me is um, how much creativity comes from being an intelligent player and somebody who's making their choices, you know, before the ball comes to them or, um, you know, they spot space and they plot a plan to get into it and to, um, move the ball with them. I think Ajaria is, he's sort of, when he's on form, he's sort of one of these ultimate improvisers in that he can just feel the game and and move through it like that. But that's just not how this side plays. Um, Swift was able to spot when a tempo change um, would pull a side apart. And I don't trust that Ajaria um, has that ability. So it's been disappointing because I really thought at the start of the year that when Swift left, Ajaria would get the chance and the run in the team to play in a more creative role. Um, and at this point, I mean, unless he comes back and he has a, a, you know, a January to remember after the January to forget we were talking about earlier, then I think it's, it's just trying to get him in the shop window for a move before his last year of his contract. Yeah, which to be honest, I don't really see anyone coming in and signing him. But there we go. Hopefully he proves us wrong. We always want these players to actually, you know, get off their arse and do well. Unfortunately, that list of previous winners is littered with players. I suppose Jake Cooper, aside, who's had a, a very decent career at Millwall. And Danny Loder, I mean, he should have done better at Reading. But ultimately, his career ended for, uh, uh, Reading career ended for reasons kind of outside of of our fans' control and his performance's control. So, um. Ovi Ajaria takes his first HRK Underachiever Award of the Year. Let's hope it is his last as well. Let's go to golden moment then. Better times ahead. Um, Previous winners include beating Bradford in the FA Cup uh, semi-final. Um, 
no, it was quarterfinal. What I was talking about. Um, quarterfinal Bradford FA Cup win. Um, beating Fulham in the playoffs. Uh, last year it was beating Bournemouth 3-1, which briefly put us in like proper promotion contention uh, back in the day. Um, we've already had some nominations then. Ollie Adam saying the Sheffield United winner with Tom McIntyre in the last minute, having only just conceded an equaliser to a team in the playoffs. Uh, the Swansea equaliser, also Tom McIntyre, is what Ben is saying. And Sim has said the Legends game. So, uh, Ross, where are you throwing the golden moment this year? I'm going to go, I'm going to agree with Ben. I'm going to go with a Swansea game because it is always funny when lightning strikes twice in the space of a week. Um, it was, you know, watching the Sheffield United game, watching Tom McIntyre go from zero to hero in, in three minutes. That, that was awesome. Obviously that was such a great moment. Um, and, and important to us staying up more important in the end than the Swansea point turned out to be. Um, but you know, football is weird, you know, sometimes, uh, Morocco make it to the semi-final of a world cup. Sometimes Kidderminster beat Reading. Um, so sometimes the game throws up these odd results like the Sheffield one, but for it to happen twice in a week started to feel like something funny was going on, but it's a great feeling. It was just a lot of fun to watch and just fun to be part of. Um, it was, a, it was probably the first time since the protests in January and everything that it was really fun to be a Reading fan again for a few days there. Westy, what do you reckon? Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, Sheffield United and obviously, um, Swansea, great. Great games, um, and like I said, for the local lads scoring late, late equalisers and winners, um, it's a shame you can't bottle that feeling because, like I said, it is great when that happens. But for me, I think the best moment we've had this season, again, a little bit left field, would be Blackburn at home. I think at the time they were top, or they were second, certainly at the top of the league. Um, I think Reading's performance that night was the best I've seen them play under Ince and probably the best I've seen them play for quite a few seasons where they gave everything, they scored three goals, they kept a clean sheet and I think everyone who went to that match come out of that game thinking, do you know what, I think this is going to be a good season for us because they showed in that moment everything that was good about them. Um, so for me, I'm going to go for the Blackburn at home, the 3-0 win. Yeah, no, that was a, that was a really enjoyable game, um, which is rare um, as we've spoken about this season. And yeah, it just all came together, didn't it? Because they they were top of the league, and and Reading just kind of punctured that and showed that we were a bit of a serious team as well, which was great fun. I've gone for the Sheffield United game, and this is going to take the award as well um, for the fact that I just remember being is one of the away games I went to last season. I remember being in the stand, just thinking, oh well, if you'd I'd have taken a point before the game, you go through that process, don't you, with a late equaliser, convincing yourself that you're happy with it. And to be fair, with Sheffield United, wouldn't have ruined my day or anything like that. But um, to then go and steal the the last minute winner, I just remember the I think it's Baba Barman put the the free kick in, and I said that's a good free kick that is, and you just you, you know you can piece it together in your mind the knockdown and everything, and yeah after that it's just sheer adulation, isn't it? And and pandemonium, which is um which is what you live for as a football fan. So the Sheffield United game takes it for the golden moment for 2022 in the Tyler and podcast. Let's go to the worst moment. Um, Previous winners include losing 6-1 to Birmingham, uh, losing 4-1 to Fulham, losing 4-0 to Ipswich and having six points deducted was last year's uh, worst moment. Ben has said the Coventry game and the 150th anniversary, he's just said everything associated with that wasn't um, wasn't a moment to be proud of. Um, myself and Ollie and Sim and Adam have all gone for the Kidderminster game. 
Um, I mean, we spoke about it earlier on, so I don't think we need to go into too much more detail for why we thought that was just a well awful moment, really. Um, Westy, are you going to throw in any different nominations? Yeah, I'm going to say I didn't really, I, I must have blotted it out of my mind that Coventry 150th anniversary. It was, uh, it was a borderline shambles the whole day, to be fair. Um, it was so in, so not in keeping with 150th year anniversary. I don't think they could have done a worse job all around the club. But mine is the kid against the game as well, just because um, you can't be getting beaten by sides a, a quite a, a long way down the divisions and not having the best of seasons and look so ordinary. So for me, yeah, it was have to be the kid against the game. Ross, any others? I'm going to go with the the weekend incident when Liam Moore was stripped of the captaincy. That was the point when I really started to worry about what on earth was going on behind the scenes. That was when I started to want to believe some of the worst rumours that we were hearing about the, the backroom and things like that, because regardless of what was going on there, and I'm sure Liam Moore did some things that you know, we might not have been thrilled with. That is not the right way to go about things, clearly. Um, and how the rest of the team were meant to feel about that. I, I don't know if, I just don't know how that decision was made and how it became, how anyone came to the conclusion that that might be taken positively, even with the fan, um, you know, distaste maybe thirdly and more from a lot of uh areas at that time just think that was completely botched um really unfair on liam moore and just really worried me at that point so i'd have to go at that moment yeah that's fair enough well the winner of the worst moment of 2022 is losing 2-1 to national league north team kidderminster in the third round of the fa cup and actually like we said earlier it not even feeling like that much of a surprise <laughs> or that bigger news really just yeah it was just one of those days you want to bury your head in the sand and pretend you're not a Reading fan um which you know I really don't think come along very often even at the worst of times um comedy moment then we've got a few couple more of these to go comedy moment previous winners include uh our, our Thai owner's song um we are the royals or something like that i can't i can't remember the exact it kind of pops up on twitter every couple of years as like a, a bit of a funny one um how robson carney scoring against belgium in euro 2016 was that year's comedy moment um da young running on the pitch after one of the games in 2021 was the winner there and actually da young down the pub before the Wigan game is Sim and Ben's nomination for this year's comedy moment. We've had Adam and Ollie as well saying, uh, just been Paul Ince, the video, if you remember that yep. being launched on a social media, for you guys went on is, I can't even remember the name of the app that you can pay Paul Ince to send you a message. <laughs> um, and that was a, that was a moment, wasn't it, Ross? Oh yeah, no, that was a great, that's mine um, for sure. I um, I very much enjoyed all of the, you've just been Paul Inst memes and the, you know, people getting inst and you're, you're weekly insting and all of these things. And um, that was, you know, obviously all over Twitter and the championship subreddit and various things like that. And it's just a, it was just a lot of fun to log into the, um, you know, the championship subreddit after another uh victory, another unexpected victory often, <laughs> and the entire feed would just be full of pictures of Paulins, uh, you know, saying that another team had been Paulins. So I think that when a meme is so good that the rest of the the championship fans want to hop onto it, then you you know it's a funny moment. 
Yeah, I think um, I don't. I think that the best part about that was that he just read it out like so deadpan seriously, like he didn't yes. really realize what it was that he was reading. It was just a bit. Of, it was so surreal, but um, yeah, very, very twenty twenty two. I'd have to say um, my comedy moment. Uh, an honourable mention. This is for Orion Islands. Uh, just complete uh, embarrassing moment in the final game of the season against Luton, where not even the Sky Sports cameras were looking at him as he casually dropped the ball and uh, had the Luton player behind him score. I felt like it was a comedy moment because fundamentally it just didn't matter to us. And it really kind of summed up the season in about three seconds. And uh, yeah, it almost happened at the World Cup actually as well, didn't it? Which was a uh, a hell of a moment in the Portugal game, wasn't it, against Ghana? So, yeah, the uh, the nylon moment for me. But, yeah, just being Paul Inst is the comedy moment of 2022. Right then, we are going into the Pavel Pogrebniak Most Missed Award, which actually has a lot of contenders this year. Lucas Zhao has won it for the last two years, basically because of when he's got injured. Adam Federici, Danny Williams, Lewis Baker have also claimed the award previously. Um, Ross, who are you thinking is the most missed player for this year? Oh, I was leaning Rinomota just based on my own personal feelings. But I think that if we're thinking about who would help the team the most right now, if we took Jeff Hendrick out and replaced him with John Swift, we might genuinely be a playoff team right now. Um, just that little that little bit of creativity in breaking down blocks and, and trying to chase a game. I know Swift didn't always show up every single game, but there's nobody in the team who can provide the same kind of creativity that, that Swift used to be able to. So yeah, we're, we're really missing him in the middle of the park. Yeah, I'm going to have to say John Swift as well, as did Ollie and Adam. Uh, ben sent in Winamata. Sim said Felipe Aruna, um, which is a hell of a thing to miss because I'm not sure I ever saw him play for Reading. <laughs> um, <laughs> Westy, it's interesting that no one said Josh Lawrence yet. No, uh, again, at the start of the season, I think all those three midfielders would have been well on the list. I know with Swift probably going to win it, but I genuinely, I don't, I don't miss any of them. I don't miss any of them three midfielders. I was never a big Swift fan. Yeah, he's got a creative spark, but like I said, he went missing for three or four months of the season and had a purple patch and then disappeared again. Um, no doubt in the boy's talent, and like I said, we do miss his goals to a certain extent, but. I thought at the start of this year we'd miss all them three in midfield, but I think our midfield's better now than it was when them three were in it. So I haven't gone for any of them. Again, I've gone a bit left field. I'm going to say Liam Moore uh, for a number of reasons that have already been discussed by Ross. Um, he hit the nail on the head earlier about being stripped of the captaincy. I think, you know, rightly or wrongly, I think Liam Moore has been fit all season. He would have been asset to, especially with the injuries we've had at the back. And I just think that it was just a, a nasty... Um, sort of sour taste for everybody. Um, it reminds me of when Mills flipped us the bird a few seasons ago, quite a few seasons ago now. Um, it's just like that turn from being sort of hero to zero in that second. I think I think we, we've missed a lot from Liam Moore being sort of sidelined. Um, probably not as much as Swift, but just as an argument, I think Liam Moore has been my vote for the most missed. No, that's fair enough. I go for Swift because I think that that uh, is the goals for midfield, and I guess Tomins does effectively play that same role. But the two of them together um, as a kind of maybe even a three-four-three just off the off of Carroll or something like that. I think that would be uh, a really interesting um, front line that Reading could be having. Um, so yeah, John Swift does with three nominations take the Pavel Pogrebniak Most Missed Award. I'm not sure we really missed 
uh, Pavel Pogremniak anymore. Um, but we have, I guess there's no one else who's kind of claimed that crown yet. So, so it is that he continues with it. And the final award of the night, then final award of the 2022 podcast Christmas sh- uh, special is the breakout prediction. The player that we tip to go and have a great next 12 months. And we've not always been particularly good at this. Royston sure. Benza won it in 2013. Um, yeah, and he had a great career, didn't he? After that 2013 season. Um, <laughs> Dominic Samuel, Jonathan Bond, Yakume A's done all right. Omar Rich has done all right. Daniel Loder's done all right. Michael Elise's done all right. So those years we were good. Last couple of years, Dayan Tetek and Femi Aziz, who I don't really think it's, I mean, let's be honest, haven't done anything. Um, I'm going to go for Nelson Abbey. It's a bit of a difficult one, this one, because there aren't loads of academy players that I really think are going to do it. Adam's also gone for him. Um, I think it's too soon for Tuma. Basil Tuma's time will come. The uh, the yep. eaten, educated winger that we is absolutely rapid, who uh, probably won't come come forward in 23, but maybe in 24. Um, Oli has said Kian Levy. Uh, Rashawn Scott for Ben and Jay Senga is what Sims said. Um, Westy, any any academy players that you think might make a bit of a splash in 22? Or 23 even? Yeah, never field one. I've seen him play a number of times. I think he's going to be a very good player one day. And that's Strickland. I think he's had a couple of um he's had a couple of games in the first team. Um I just think he 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 looks the part as a big strong um either defensive midfielder or, or centre back. And I think that Strickland, if he doesn't break out this year, it'll be next. Um so I'm gonna vote for him. Again, left field, but he's a good player. I'm going to throw, I, I wonder, I don't, I don't know if I'll change my vote because then it'll just become a farce if we all have different players. But uh, John Clark has been particularly ah. impressive a couple of times when he's been in and around the team, um, friendlies and Carabao Cups and whatnot. So he could be one to look out for. We signed him from Port Vale in the summer, didn't we? Um, Ross, who have you gone for for your breakout? Well, I've gone for, I've gone for John Clark as well. Um, that's, I, I see him around the team a lot and sort of like in the positions that I remember Holmes being in, you know, three or four seasons ago. And so I just wonder if with the, you know, with the injuries at centre back being what they are, I don't necessarily, even if Scott Dan is able to play between now and the end of the season, don't see him making it all the way to the end of the season. So I think that there may be a chance for John Clark somewhere in the next year. Um, just a quick note on one of the previous winners, Jonathan Bond in 2015, obviously never really got it going for us in the end, but he is now a regular starter uh, for the, the LA Galaxy over here in America. So he has at least nailed down a starting role finally and a nice uh you know nice location to live i suppose yeah that's not a bad life is it being the first choice goalkeeper of la galaxy i i, I would have taken that if you'd have yeah. offered it to me um if you you know when i was 12 years old or whatever um so yeah no i'll, I'll move over to clark then i'll join you on that and john clark is our official breakout prediction for 2023 um congratulations and hopefully you're more more elise than tetek <laughs> i think it's fair to say <laughs> Um, right, we've got about five minutes left of the show. Let's go into a little bit of preview and talk about what's coming up to round off the year. Be loud and be proud and back the boys and make some noise. Come on, you Oz! Shout out to this week's podcast sponsor, ZCZ Films, showing that age is no barrier to being a hooli hoop. 
Right, welcome back to the final part of the show for the Tyler and Podcast. I say five minutes left because that's exactly what we've got left on the Zoom call. Um, and it's far too late for us to be faffing around joining new links again. So let's have a quick look ahead at what's coming up for Reading. Swansea at home, 5.15 is December 27th. We're on TV for that one. So there's uh, no boxing day game. Um, we're then away to Norwich on the 30th, 7.45 kickoff and away to West Brom on 3pm January the 2nd. And Westy, that's a bit of a... I mean, Swansea are in bad form, I think it's fair to say, but they could still very easily turn us over like they did early in the season. And West Brom have won quite a few games now. It's a bit of a bit of a tough run, isn't it? It's a very tough run. And as you know, we're not very good when we're on TV in general. So I'll fear for that one straight away. Um, Norwich away, let's face it, I can't see them getting much out of that. We don't historically. And Norwich will be there thereabouts at the end. And West Brom have already beat us. So it is a real tough three games, I think, for Reading. And hopefully we can get some points out of them. But if they lost all three, I don't think we'd be shocked. Yeah, Ross, if I offered you one win, maybe a draw, I'd certainly take four points out of that. Three, you might as well take. I guess Norwich, we know that Norwich are going to be up there, aren't they? So it's not a free hit because they're not brilliant. But at the same point, it's not a, you know, if you lose it, no one really comes away from that furious depending circumstances that's the thing at the end of the day if you get one smash and grab one nil win out of those three then you're better off than two good performances and two points so i guess yeah if we get three points out of it i'll be you know i'll be happy just gonna keep the points coming in um especially when it gets to these tough stages yeah i suppose my big fear out of those those two away games in particular is that our penchant for having a a four nil defeat might emerge um, particularly with having to play so many games back to back, but you know it's 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 always plausible that we um we do something special in this. So let's um let's lay on a Swansea prediction then to end off the show. The prediction league as it stands now, Adam was the only one to get the Birmingham defeat. So at the halfway mark, Ben leads on fifteen points, handbags fourteen, Sim thirteen, Westy twelve, Adams on ten. I'm on eight points, and Ollie's on five. So Westy, what are you going to say for a Swansea prediction? I'm going to go for a win because I think it's the game, the most winnable game out of them three. So I'm going to go for a 2-1 win to win. Ross, what do you think for the Swansea game? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm with him on the win. I'm just going to go for a 2-0 rather than a, rather than a 2-1. Well, I'm going to go for, I think is we don't ever draw games. So predicting a draw is a little bit pointless. So I'm going to, yeah, I'll go for a 1-0 defeat. I'll be a bit different. I mean, I need to get some points up and I mean, I may as well give myself a reason, a 1% reason to enjoy us getting beat um, if so, if it happens. Uh, but then I do think we'll pick up one of Norwich or West Brom. I think we'll, I think we'll put in a good performance, one of those games and, uh, and then we'll get something out of this period. So we'll have to see, we will be back. I will aim to do us a podcast uh, between the Swansea and Norwich game. We usually have this period off, but we've had so long off with the World Cup that, you know, let's, I'll, I'll pull my finger out and do a do a Swansea uh, podcast, hopefully, after that game, um, potentially on the 28th, depending on who is around to join me for that one. Um, so all that's left, really, is to uh, say thank you, uh, Westy, for coming on. It's been a pleasure having you on for the award show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I think I've, I've not been on a award show for about five or six years, so it's nice to get the call. So thank you for that. And it's been great meeting you as well, Ross, although it be yeah, virtual. Fantastic. Yeah, Ross, always great to have you on, mate. Yeah, thanks very much. Nice to meet you, Westy, and uh, always great to talk Reading. Happy holidays, everyone.
Absolutely. We go into what has been, as, as I said at the top of the show, it's always really interesting being a Reading fan because there don't don't tend to be many dull years, do they? And at the end of the day, we've come out of this one stronger than we started it, or at least that's the plan with the final two games ahead of us. So uh, we'll hopefully be back in the next few days. Enjoy your holidays. Enjoy some time off if you get it. And if you're working, uh, hopefully we're the sort of thing that can accompany you during that and you'll have a good time with us. Um, you've had a good time with us as well during the award show and everything. So that leaves me just to say Merry Christmas, Happy New Year and come on your ass.